And welcome to the annual pre-draft edition of the More Sports Now podcast. I am John McAlevey, along with my colleague Steve Titchener. And on the phone with us is New York football giants beat writer for the New York Daily News, Pat Leonard. Pat, thanks again for coming on. You got it. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is always uh, a fun year or a fun time of year. But this this year, geez, four picks in the top 10, Giants and Jets, first time ever. You know, New York can really set uh, the board, if you will, for the way the rest of it goes. And, you know, without top quarterbacks in the mix, it really is fascinating right now listening to all the news and rumors of, you know, who's going to go where and teams are you know, teams are curious because a player that they like who they think is probably more worth a 15th overall pick is probably going to go six in this year's draft. You know, it's a very strange board, but a very exciting one as we talk about New York sports. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And it's, it makes it that much more fun, right? Instead of knowing, you know, okay, Trevor Lawrence is going one and, you know, down from there. But uh, yeah, the draft is something that uh, is going to be wild and woolly and we're all looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it's uh, especially with the Vegas spectacle, uh, the uncertainty of the number one pick. You have, um, you know, wide receivers all getting paid right now in free agency when it comes to veterans and production. So teams looking at a class where receiver is one of the only strong positions in it. So a lot of people think there could be a large run early in the draft on wide receivers to kind of make up that financial difference as well as a position that's more valuable in a pass heavy league. So mm-hmm. yeah, lots of trends and, and actually we, it hasn't really kicked in yet, but I think we're going to see a ton of trades. I know there's a lot of general managers who want to make trades, especially in the first round when it comes to trading back. The question is who wants to trade up Yeah, because those premier prospects don't exist. So it's going to be about, okay, does, do the Giants fall in love with a player? Do the Jets fall in love with a player? You know, do the Steelers fall in love with a quarterback or the New Orleans Saints? Uh, but there's definitely a lot of GMs looking for action, and then the question is, will they find it? Yeah, yeah. And now I took a look at your mock draft that you had up today, and for those of you Giants fans out there, Pat has at – uh, a combination at five and seven, he's going with Cross and Sauce. Okay, Charles Cross would be uh, at number five, the offensive tackle from Mississippi State. And at number seven, Ahmad Gardner from Cincinnati, the lockdown corner, the big, tall guy to 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 stay opposite the field of James Bradbury. Hopefully, Wink Martindale has a couple of shutdowns. So what was the thinking into those two choices? Because um, you know, you know that you hear the Giants. Obviously, they need offensive line help, and Iki Aquanu would still be on the board. And then there's the pass rusher, Kayvon Thibodeau. I know that went into your thinking, but what what made you settle in on uh, Charles Cross and Ahmad Gardner? Yeah, so those are two players that I know, you know, leaked from league sources, and uh, been reporting on Cross. I think since early March. Um, and Gardner's a guy who the, the secret got out pretty quickly there too, especially with James Bradbury expected to be traded. That's a need on the team, just like an offensive lineman is. Um, you know, I actually have had multiple sources tell me in the last week that Gardner is in play for the Giants even at five. Wow. So I went for cross here at five, but I could easily make the argument that they take Gardner at five and then 
even if like in the scenario I laid out in my mock draft, which had Walker, the edge rusher to the Jags, then Hutchinson to the Lions, Evan Neal to, to the Texans at three and Jermaine Johnson to the Jets at four. If the Giants come up at five, Joe Shane even admitted that he's extremely interested in what the Panthers are doing at six because that could really affect how he runs his board. For right. example, looking at how it lays out here, if you have Cross and Iquanu or any two of those top three linemen when the Giants pick at five, if they really prefer one of the linemen over the other, they could go like I did and take Charles Cross and then hopefully Gardner's there at seven. But if they are really into Gardner to the point where they're saying, not only do we want him, but look, even if the Panthers take a tackle at six, we can get one of them at seven. And then, so they could flip it. They could say, well, let's make sure we get our corner first. And then we'll, we'll get one of the two tackles and we're fine with either coming to seven. I mean, they would be fun. They would like Evan Neal too. I just, I haven't mocked him to the giants anywhere because I'm extremely skeptical of him getting to their pick. Like if he gets to their pick, it wouldn't shock me at all if the Giants took Evan Neal either. And I mentioned, you mentioned Thibodeau. I know for a fact that Thibodeau is a, is a possibility for the Giants. I'm not saying they're going to take him definitely. I'm just saying that while there has been due diligence and questions about his fit in New York and legitimate ones, not only with the Giants, but with the Jets too, mm. um, you know, they have done enough homework on him and it has not taken him off their board, so to speak. So he is certainly somebody to watch. And the last thing I would add, though, I'm sure we'll get into it, is Joe Shane is open for business. So, you know, could he trade up? Could he trade back? He said back going back at the, to the combine that he was game for whatever, if it was best for his team. So yeah. I think we can't rule anything out when it comes to this general manager in his first draft. Yeah. You talk about maybe trading down. Um, it could be a scenario where they would like to move down and and sort of like last year where they were able to to get a first round pick from Chicago who wanted to move up to get fields because, you know, it would be nice to have one of those in your back pocket for next season if that's a possibility because next year is supposedly a, a quarterback heavy draft, you know, with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud uh, maybe coming out in the mix. But if they could move back, that would be fine. Pat, in any way, shape or form, at five and at seven, would could the Giants take if both tackles are there? Would they take tackles at both of those spots, or is that you know pie in the sky because their offensive line has been so bad for for so many years? Um, <laughs> would that be in in a world of possibilities, or are they going to definitely go um, corner, edge rusher, and offensive lineman those three spots? I think if they stay at those two picks, you're you're looking at getting an offensive player and a defensive player. Um, yeah. I wouldn't rule anything out, but I do think that um, Shane actually said something during his press conference that we, when we talked to him too about offensive linemen, where he said, yeah, it's a priority, but you don't want to overdraft players. And, you know, that almost made me think that if certain linemen are off the board, let's say they get Gardner at five, maybe he trades back from seven and is okay with getting a Trevor Penning, like in the early teens, for example, um, and so that's another way that they can accomplish that. But I don't think they're going to end up taking two linemen at five and seven, though. You know, we've seen crazier things happen. Right. Hey, Pat, let's uh, switch to the Jets here. You have an interesting choice at four with Jermaine Johnson, the second from Florida State. He jumps uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. What, what, was, what was the thinking there? 
Yeah, you're talking about Jermaine Johnson all the way up to four at the Jets. So yeah. he is a guy who over the last couple of weeks, um, his name has – so I would say even for the last month, people that I trust have told me no one's putting Jermaine in the top 10. No one's putting Johnson high enough. He's going to go higher than people think. But when people tell you that, they also can't exactly say to you, well, he'll be the first rusher off the board. He'll be the second, you know, because people are having a lot of hard times ranking them. And for this reason, you could ask a different team. One team will tell you Hutchinson's their guy. The next guy will tell you, you know, Johnson's his guy. But the, actually, Walker is the consensus from people I trust. They'll tell me, like, he's the best pass rusher. So Johnson, what it is about him is he's the best combination of defined production in college upside and room to grow and also something that teams like the giants and the jets value, you know, did very well at the senior bowl where I know it's only a week and it's practices and then a game that doesn't matter, but the teams really get a chance to, it's their first chance in the off season to get in front of these guys in person, you know, feel and touch and see and meet and ask them questions in one-on-one settings. And he just passed all of those tests in flying colors. Like, He's a kind of player that, you know, I think I mentioned, like, if, if he gets to the Giants, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked um, if they if they take him as well. I mean, he's a he's a guy who every team is starting to come back. Like, I love him. I love him. I love him. And then you say, well, wait a minute. Why? Why is everybody saying he's going to go eight if all the teams in the top seven like the guy? Um, the Jets. Here's the thing about the Jets. I do think it's fair to say that they could use another offensive lineman. I think it's, I don't think just because they've invested in it, that it means they're quote unquote finished, but Robert Sala needs to pressure the quarterback in his defense, right? They need better pressure on the QB. They need guys they can trust up front. Uh, Could they go corner? Yeah. But um, I think when you look at what they would like to invest in on that defense and the way that his Niners defense succeeded and really just, Listen, the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC East, they just constantly build and reinforce their offensive and defensive lines. So even when they have things not growing great at some other positions or they're not elite somewhere, they continue to win the battle up front and it keeps them competitive. And the the Jets need to win some games, right? So, you know, they're not, no one's under any illusion that I think that they're going to win the AFC East this year. So Pat, they're the Jets at 10. You got him going with uh, Garrett Wilson from uh, Ohio State. You know, I follow the Big Ten a lot. I like that pick uh, uh, for the Jets. Uh, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, you know, what's, what's interesting about this is, first of all, I do think the Jets, I think the Jets want a receiver here. Um, you know, Joe Douglas is looking for guys who can contribute immediately. And that's why, listen, I would give them Jamison Williams. if he Like, if he were healthy, he's wide receiver one. Yeah. So he wouldn't even be at their pick. But I guess when I'm looking at my board, you know, I have the Falcons taking Drake London as the first receiver at eight. I mean, the Jets could take him too. Uh, But I think Wilson's speed, you know, when you have, you know, Elijah Moore, what he brings, and then Corey Davis kind of on the outside. I think what Wilson gives you is like a good compliment in Zach Wilson's offense there uh, for Mike LaFleur. I think, you know, Jamison Williams is kind of the player that, if the Jets weren't in such a, hey, we got to start winning some games mode in year two of Robert Sala's program, 
then I think then that's the pick. And it still could be the pick. I mean, that his agent says that he's doing well. They posted a video recently of Williams looking pretty good for a guy who just tore his ACL a couple months ago. So I'm not, I'm not saying I would hate that pick and rule that out either. Uh, but, you know, I think Wilson's a guy who comes in, contributes immediately. And, um, you know, just like the Giants, and I think you guys would probably agree with this, but like, it, do they, could the Jets go, go both on offense or both on defense? Sure. You know, they have needs all over their roster, but I do think when you have these two picks in the top 10, like these teams do, and this goes for the Jets here, like, I think there's a great argument to be made for strengthening both sides of the ball with immediate contributors. And certainly this is a big year for Wilson as well as the Jets organization as a whole. Yeah, and Zach Wilson needs some targets. And, uh, you know, Garrett Wilson, was, I think, the, the better of the two uh, Ohio State uh, receivers. I think he's a little better than Olavi. And, uh, yeah. you know, perhaps uh, maybe the best uh, in, in the draft. Talk to us about the edge position, though, Pat. I mean, talk about the trend here over the last several years. That seems to be the freak athlete that every team is looking for and a hot commodity every year. Yeah, no doubt. And, well, the funny thing about this year is, you know, Trayvon Walker is the kind of prospect who, even though he's tantalizing, has great measurables and, and all that, when a player doesn't have production, and also, like, Walker, for example, he was basically a 3-4 end at Georgia, who teams are projecting as like an edge outside linebacker rusher in the pros, a, a player who projects is not usually the edge rusher who goes first off the board. When you're drafting in the top five, you're looking at, you know, Nick Bosa, uh, you know, proven type production, you know, and so that's usually the guy who you're taking. But this year, because there isn't somebody, a, a Miles Garrett or this and that, like, you're not looking at somebody who's like, wow, I know this dude's coming off a 15, 18 sack season, plug and play, Yeah, you know, that the, the edge rusher is such a premium position. And then it's also so undefined, you know, who the best players are that you're seeing a team say, well, listen, we're just going to take the guy we think is the best and most capable at rushing the passer, even though his usage and his production wasn't there last year, because we trust that come into the NFL, given his skill set, he's going to translate. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned edge rushers. The Giants found a good one last year in Aziz Ojolari. He came in uh, and was one of their best pass rushers uh, for the team last year. You also, we've gone over wide receiver and how deep it is. You have seven going in the first round. And I know that Big Blue could probably use another pass catcher. Another position that they'd like to shore up is tight end. Do you see the Giants trying to pick up a tight end maybe in rounds three or four, something like that? Yeah, no doubt about it. I think they're, like you said, you just hit it. I mean, I think they clearly are in the receiver market. They're in the running back market, tight end market. I mean, these are all positions they're going to draft guys at. Um, you know, I think, you know, Jelani Woods from Virginia is somebody they've been on here for quite some time throughout this process. I know Jeremy Ruckert, um, you know, local kid at Ohio State, obviously his usage and health are things that people had questions about coming into the process. But I think the early reviews are that people trust that if, if he's used as a pass catching and versatile and multiple tight end, that he will flourish in the NFL and that he'll be healthy. Um, I think I'm saying this kid's name, right. Chigo Aquanco, 
um, from Maryland is mm-hmm. another player to watch. Um, and Isaiah likely a coastal Carolina kid. There's, you know, there's just some of the names, uh, you know, that, that you could look at at tight end and say that, you know, come the mid rounds, the giants feel like they have the right value and they're going to get a player. And as you, as you're kind of alluding to here, anyone the giants are drafting in this draft or even signing late in the draft. I mean, you're talking about guys who could contribute right away, who you're looking, if you're the giants and Joe Shane, you're saying, can this guy help us day one? Now this is a development, uh, a developmental program. It's a rebuild and all that, but these guys are going to get a chance to play. Cause even though the giants have plenty of players on the field last week at their voluntary mini camp, I mean, there's going to be a lot of guys we saw on the field the other day who aren't going to be on this roster in a couple of weeks because the giants want cost control. They want young talent and they're going to try to give these guys a shot right away. Yeah. Pat, talk to us about the new regime. Uh, Joe Shane is the new general manager and Brian Dable is the new head coach. Um, talk to us first about what your impressions are early on from both of those gentlemen. And then we have to delve into what was the, the 19 and 46 Dave Gettleman era where he came in cool. talking with his, uh, his Boston accent about he's here to fix the problem. And he just seemed to make the problem even worse than, than when he got here. But first talk about the new guys and then we'll, we'll, um, kick, kick the can a little bit on Dave Gettleman. Yeah, so the good thing about Joe Shane right off the bat is that he seems to have the Giants understanding where their franchise and roster are, you know, and that's something the Giants have struggled with for a long time is self-evaluating. And so, for example, the Rams knew the last five years that they had a window and they tried to hit it and hit it and hit it. They get to the Super Bowl once, they keep at it, they keep investing in the short term, knowing they need an extra piece or believing they need an extra piece, and it turns out they're right. So the Giants, conversely, you know, they've really struggled knowing what they are and what they aren't. I think Shane, you look at how open for business he's been. I mean, he invited calls on Saquon Barkley right away at the Combine, has taken calls on him. He's expected to trade James Bradbury. He's called teams and shopped Kadarius Toney. He's taking calls and talking to teams about possible trades in the draft. I think, you know, my early return on Shane is that First, I want to see his actions come this draft weekend because we'll learn a lot about how he handles the spotlight, the pressure of being that New York general manager. And this is his first draft. I mean, he told us last week that um, when he was in Buffalo as the assistant GM, his draft day routine, part of it was that he would golf during the day because the pressure wasn't on him. Uh I I can't imagine doing that on draft day. And obviously, he can't afford to do that now. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he handles it. And then Brian Dable, wait and see on the head coach. I mean, I think the early returns, people around the league believe that Dable is a very good offensive mind who will improve this offense in some form. I think there's some questions about what kind of head coach he'll be. Um, you know, I know so far it seems like everything's roses and sunshine is how they want to portray it from the Giants facility right now. But obviously last week when they were talking about how fun and games and everything's so nice, you know, meanwhile, they're days away from making calls to teams looking to trade a player who's not there for voluntary workouts. So, you know, what is the culture really? Um, I do think the Giants need structure. You know, I thought Joe Judge was good for the organization, frankly. Mm. And I think Brian Dable, if he, if he wants to handle things in his own personality, that's what you have to do. And that's good. 
but I do think he needs to keep structure and be the CEO at the front of the room and not just the good offensive coach uh, who, you know, is kind of fun to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. And he also had uh, Josh Allen to work with in Buffalo, which will make uh, a lot of people look pretty good right now. He's yeah, he inherits a little bit. Right. Yeah. Oh, geez. And so now he inherits uh, Daniel Jones and we'll we'll get into that down the road. But uh, so the early returns are good on Shane and Dayball. We won't know. We'll know more about Dayball once the games begin, as you said. How about can you can you sum up the Dave Gettleman era in a couple of sentences? I mean, he as I said, he came in, you know, as the uh, one time longtime worker for the for the Giants organization it was off in Carolina. Uh, it comes back to to right all the wrongs that were done previously, and it just seemed to you know get off on the wrong foot, and the wheels were off pretty early. Some some sketchy draft choices. He left them in salary cap hell, and so just sort of sum the Dave Gettleman era up, if you could. Yeah. So the problem was ownership, ownership, uh, their idea of continuing to run it back with Eli and refusing to believe that he was. Uh, not only on the decline, but done hmm. and hiring Dave Gettleman to help them execute the plan of let's win one more time with Eli from the, you know, signing Nate Solder, Alec Gogletree, drafting Saquon Barkley, number two, the decision to try and win still with Eli there, rather than recognizing they were, they needed to tear it down really, uh, you know, colored everything about Gettleman's regime and where, and is the reason why the giants are where they are now. And the perfect way to summarize how, how difficult and or how poor of a job Gettleman did, someone I was talking with the other day was, was reminding me, look at Dave Gettleman's drafts with the Giants. How many players that he picked in the first round are going to get a second contract with the team? And so when you think about that, you have Saquon Barkley likely is not. DeAndre Baker obviously is gone. <laughs> Dan Jones might not. Dexter Lawrence might. You know, Kadarius Tony doesn't look like it. So, like when you just when you list these things off, you have to build a team through the draft. I mean, free agency can help you, but you have to draft well. And the the great shame of it is that the Giants have admitted in hindsight that you know they barely did any kind of real search on that on that GM search. They knew what they wanted, and so it was a Gettleman problem. But let's not forget, it was an ownership problem, and it still is. Hey, Pat, let's uh, switch to quarterback. I have a particular interest in Kenny Pickett. First of all, he's a Jersey Shore kid from Ocean. And I got two kids at Pitt. So I've I've gone out there and seen him play at Heinz Field a few times. Um, You got him going at 16 to the Saints. Interesting. I'm told the word in Pittsburgh is if he's at 20, the Steelers are taking him. Uh, I, I've seen him as high as six to the uh, to the Panthers. Uh, what's uh, what's your thought on the Saints uh, and their yeah. interest in him? Yeah, no, good question. Um, so first of all, you know, nobody has a clear, defined read on yes or no on where these pick these quarterbacks are going, which is part of the uh, crazy uncertainty. However, um, I I always subscribe to the theory and or to the belief and to the precedent, right, of history in the NFL draft that no matter what anyone tells you about, oh, there's not enough good quarterbacks, they're not going to go high, there's always one that does. And, you you know, more often than not, somebody trades up for one. It only takes one. This is what I always tell people, and it's usually true. It only takes one team to fall in love with that one player, and that's how it happens. So 
you know, could a guy like Pickett or Malik Willis uh, go high, like in the top 10? Sure. I, that's not what I hear. Um, I do think that when I, when I slot New Orleans to Pickett here, listen, the Saints need a tackle. They could use another receiver. Um, they won't necessarily go quarterback here if they don't believe that the value is there. But when they made that trade with the Eagles to give up a pick last year to get an extra one this year, many people in the league doubt that they did it without a quarterback in mind. I will say this. I didn't make the trade in this mock draft, but when people say that there could be a big trade up from the teens into the top 10 for, for a player, the saints are the one that comes up the most. Now, could that be for a tackle because they lost to Ron Armstead? Sure. Uh, it also could be for a quarterback like Pickett. I think Pickett profiles to everybody, even though no one's over the moon about any of these QBs, a guy like Malik Willis looks more to people like he needs a year. Desmond Ritter looks like a developmental guy. Um, there are teams like the Falcons who have high opinions of a guy like Matt Corral. And like I put here, like I think Pittsburgh will go quarterback. I agree with you at 20, even if they or they might trade up too. Um, but I'm going to, I'm just giving picket to the saints because uh, they're in that market. They've done their due diligence. And if a guy needs to play soon and if a team wants to incorporate a guy soon and feels like he can handle it, you know, he's the one who profiles the best. And, you know, the Giants, interestingly, were pretty, pretty on him uh, last fall at points. And I'll, I'll say this about the draft. A lot of the teams in the 20s want to trade out of there because they don't have players graded in the first round that deep. You know, like Brett Veach, the Chiefs GM, said the other day in his press conference, that he only has 16 to 18 players graded as first rounders. Now, what that could mean is that, you know, teams are going to charge up to get quarterbacks in the back of the first round, maybe to get that extra fifth year option. So even if a quarterback doesn't go high, we could see a run of them late in the first round. But to your point, the Steelers are in the market. I think the saints are definitely sniffing around it, whether they actually make the pick or not, it'd be interesting to see. Um, so I think th they're in good spots to take the guy they like and preempt that run or that rush um, and maybe even trade up if they feel like, you know, like if the Steelers really want Pickett and he's their number one guy and they think that the Saints could take him, which if I'm the Steelers, I, you know, I have to think that's a sheer possibility. Then you're talking about how, how far are the Steelers willing to trade up to get their man. And talk about Malik Willis. He's really intriguing kid from Liberty. And he's certainly, yeah. his stock has certainly rised. Yeah, it's interesting. His stock rose throughout the process. Like, you know, the Falcons um, up at the top of the draft, I have them going receiver uh, to Drake London, but they, there's people who think that he would be a great fit with Atlanta. And that's why I have them trading into the back of the first round to get him. Uh, you know, he's from Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta's at a position where, they are in it for the long haul here. And so they could have, they could afford to take a quarterback who needs some seasoning and development play Marcus Mariota this year, but knowing full well, as we all do that Mariota is not the future with the Falcons. Like, in fact, that signing to me sent up flares that they intend to draft one. That's how I viewed that signing I was like, okay, this is the perfect veteran to kind of take the reins until the rookie's ready. So Willis could even go as high, you know, I could see him going eight to Atlanta. Um, 
But interestingly, his stock rose, the Auburn transfer, you know, from Liberty. It rose throughout this process and closer to the draft, it's kind of slipped a little bit, um, you know, as far as people not thinking that he's going to be a good player or not, but just he's the classic, like, you know, I'll never forget Bill Polian saying Lamar Jackson wasn't a quarterback and now the guy's a league MVP and somehow, <laughs> somehow he's still allowed to talk about the quarterback position. But um, you have more people now saying the same kind of stuff about Malik Willis. Like he looks more like a running back and this and that. Listen, someone's going to take the kid. He's tough. He's tough to tackle when he runs. That's a weapon in today's game. And there's a lot of people in the league who think that he can be very good. He's not tall. Um, so that's something that concerns some people. Like, I think if he were taller with some of those, um, raw skill sets that I think he would go higher. Um, but there are plenty of people who think that he could succeed in the league. All right. One more from me, Pat, let me give you my guy that I think is the most underrated. Certainly, uh, with the first round picks, you got him going 24th is Nicobe Dean. I mean, this guy, I get it. He's a little undersized for a linebacker at 225. He's fast. He's a freak of an athlete, and he seems to be just a, a born to be a football player. I just think that I thought that he would go earlier, um, but you got him uh, going to uh, uh, to the Cowboys. I think that'd be a steal for them. Yeah, no, you know, I was, I think I agree with you that based on production and potential, like you know, I could see him going much higher. I was having trouble finding, talking to people, finding a place for him, like exactly who was going to make that pick and, and take that undersized backer. I mean, I, Todd McShay, I heard the other day um, said that he thinks he could slip to the second round, which yeah. Like if that happens, somebody's getting an absolute steal. I, I mean, I don't think that's going to, but even I had Carl Loftus 23 to the Cardinals, Carl Loftus and Dean are both players that I think could go much higher than I have them slotted, uh, you know, based on production and, you know, in an uncertain draft, those are players who feel a little bit safer as far as like knowing what, what you see is what you get. The inside linebacker position is just not considered premium, especially in a lot of the schemes that the defensive coordinators are running now. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm agreeing, I'm agreeing with you. Like sometimes you're just, you're overthinking it. And like, if, if when a guy's on a football field, he's making all the plays and standing out, as one of the best players on one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, sometimes like, do we really need to talk about how tall or, or heavy the guy is? Like, why don't we just take him and put him on our team and let him make 12 tackles in our week one win. Right. So. Well, also because um, he was, he's playing at the highest level, the national championship game. And he's, and he's, and he's ex- exceeding. I mean, he's, he's dominating. So uh, you would think yeah. uh, that he would be, but I think we're going back uh, Pat to the, you know, the, the edge position offensive line, are more highly regarded at this point than the linebackers, even running backs and such. Is that the case? Yeah. Yes. Uh, The other thing is uh, I should say this goes with Dean as well is, um, you know, Georgia had those big guys up front, you know, Jordan Davis, uh, Devontae Wyatt, you know, Trayvon Walker. Like, so there's a, there could be a little bit of a thought from some people in the league of like, well, Dean was cleaning up, but he was cleaning up behind this like incredible front that was, able to keep him clean and people weren't able to give him enough attention on the second level. Right. So Mm. there could be some of that. Mm. Um, but that's, yeah, no, to your point in a, in a draft where, um, there is so much, 
so many question marks. Like even a guy like Derek Stingley from LSU, the corner, or Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. So these are two players who, like I had one defensive coordinator tell me about Stingley, quote, he's the one. Like in other words, this is the top corner in this draft, in his opinion. Now the issue is, He's more, well, he's a more of a man-to-man corner, but that's a great thing. But he's got the injury history. He's coming off the list, Frank, this year, which is an injury that concerns people. Mm. So, you know, a player like that would go higher over some of these rushers, but there's the injury concern. Or Kyle Hamilton. I have him outside of the top 10. Somebody, some people have him in. A lot of people didn't like his 40 time. There's also the issue of he's, he's a little bit positionless to some people in the league. Like one person com- compared him to me as the Arizona Cardinals, Isaiah Simmons, but not as fast and also not sure he could do the, the man coverage on the back end, almost sees him as a closer to the line of scrimmage type guy. So, you know, a player like that could, a, could a defensive coordinator fall in love with his versatility and take him early. Yes. But again, in a stronger class at the edge and defensive line position, you'd rather have somebody you trust and you project more directly at a position um, where you know, you need to constantly reinforce in today's game where you need to get to the quarterback or protect him rather than an unknown in the secondary at a, at a position that's not a premium. And the final thing I would say to you about the offensive line is this. There, everybody is pretty much a consensus that there's a drop-off. There's like the top three, then Penning, and then after that, there's a pretty good drop-off. And you may be like uh, Raymond from Central Michigan is another guy that some people like a tackle you have Zion Johnson, the, the guard from uh, Boston College. But by and large, there's an O-line drop-off. So not only are there not uh, positions as strong at the top, but because of that drop-off at those premium positions, there's, there's expected to be a run on O-linemen early. So it's kind of pushing those positions on the O and D-line up the draft board because of those factors. Yeah, and g- getting into the offensive line again, we know hopefully the Giants, uh, as a Giant fan, they're going to get one at five or seven. But in this offseason, they've made a couple of moves. They've brought in uh, John Feliciano, I believe, is going to be the center. Uh, Mark Lewinsky got a contract to come in. Um, are these guys major upgrades? Are they just stop gaps? What do we expect from Andrew Thomas? Year one was not good. Year two was was better. I mean, it wasn't all pro. And uh, Matt Peart is injured, but let's face it, he was a turnstile for most of the times that he was out there when he was healthy. So give us a you know bird's eye view of the Giants' offensive line right now heading into this season. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. I think it's a lot of stop gaps. I think, um, you know, when you ask me about whether would they draft two guys, two linemen in the top seven, do I think that's happening? No, but do I think they'll come out of this draft with more than one lineman? Yes. <laughs> um, you know, Andrew Thomas, they're, they're excited about, and I know Andrew's excited because he had a second surgery on his left ankle this year that they feel took care of a problem that his first surgery last year didn't. Essentially, it was repairing an injury, but not necessarily getting all the bones, like uh, loose, you know, bone spurs out of an area that initially they thought might not be an issue, but turned out to nag at him in his second year. Um, Andrew, I think, has shown when he's been healthy and on his game, they feel like he's their left tackle. And I do think it's fair to project him as that at this point, provided he's healthy this year. Um Outside of that, you know, I think you have to be concerned. Glowinski, 
this was their highest paid free agent and one of their priorities. And the Colts were phasing him out off their offensive line last year. I think, I think you really have to be concerned about that. Like they had, the name escapes me right now, but when Quentin Nelson was hurt, they had a younger guy come in and start for Nelson for a couple of weeks. And this guy played pretty well so that when Nelson came back, they actually slotted him and gave him some snaps over Glowinski for a couple of weeks. And then kind of, he ended up in a little bit of a rotation. So all this is to say, yes, he was starting on a really good offensive line, but also the Colts were not bringing him back, you know, and they were moving on. Yeah. So is he an upgrade over, you know, Will Hernandez? You would hope so, but is he definitely going to be? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think that there's a, there's a question mark there. Clearly, clearly the giants have a higher opinion of him and have a high, higher opinion of him than say I do from my research on the type of player they got. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly he hasn't played a game yet. We will see. Uh, they definitely need a right tackle. There's no question about it. That yes. is a gaping hole. Does um, does Charles Cross? I know you have him. Uh, the Giants drafting him. Does the fact that at Mississippi State he basically pass blocked the entire game? I mean they they throw the ball all over the place. And, and with with Saquon Barkley in the backfield, that they want to try and get him untracked. Does that you know give you pause at all? Does it give uh, general managers around the league? Um, you know, a reason to say, hey, maybe he's not the first tackle off the board or second tackle because basically he did not run block a lot and we're going to have to, you know, teach him, not teach him on the fly, but get him up to speed on run blocking in the NFL? It didn't come back to me as a concern after teams got to work him out, see him at his pro day. They had him working at right tackle to see if he could do that because he didn't play that in games. Um, no, that that does not come back to me as a concern. Every team has a different ranking of their boards, top three there. Like, I think some teams love Evan Neal. Some teams love Cross. Uh, Neal played right tackle, left tackle, left guard, played at Bama, obviously more experienced with the run game than Charles Cross is. But Cross was only 20 years old last season. And so when teams look at him and his measurables and his strong pass protection and then his ability to move and his feet, they just don't see major concerns over, oh, can I teach this guy to you know, to drive a defensive end, you know, given his size and his athleticism, that's not really a concern. So, um, you know, I think he projects very well. Evan Neal projects very well for the Giants as well. If he gets them, I'm just skeptical. He will. Yeah. Um, is kind of an unknown. I mean, he's all over the board. I'm telling you, like he could go one, uh, three, four, five, six. I mean, Iquano is really hard to nail down who fell in love with him and is going to take him. Mm. Pat, last one for me, and it's uh, it's a big one for the Giants, is Daniel Jones. What what do we really think is, is this season going to look like for him? I mean, he gives the ball away a lot. He throws to the other team. He fumbles it a lot. He shows signs of, of playing really well at times, and then other times he just doesn't look the part. What does your gut tell you? You know, if the Giants... You take the tackle and they have a right tackle. They have Andrew at left and these stop gaps are uh, able to hold their own. Is Daniel Jones a winning quarterback and will he be under center for big blue next season with a new contract? Oh, Oh, that last part, you really hit me with the, uh, <laughs> you put me the spot. that's a good one. Um, so 
I think even though Daniel cleaned up some of the turnover issues last year, he did so at the expense of scoring points, right? Like it wasn't like they were, uh, they were racking up points and touchdowns. I think his decision-making and his ability to get the ball in the end zone when the field gets smaller, uh, he just hasn't been able to do it at a consistent enough level yet. Obviously he hasn't had the best help at times, but, um, you know, Saquon Barkley, when he got hurt in Dallas, that was a great play draw by Jason Garrett and Joe judge and their staff there. And he's one-on-one with Micah Parsons beats him on a slant and Daniel threw the ball over his head. And then there was this freak, you know, play of him stepping on Jordan Lewis's foot Saquon. But that's all to say, like he's had some chances to make some big plays and big spots and, you know, the clock's ticking. I do think that Daniel still has it in him to do it. I do think the Giants genuinely believe he does. Uh, it would be a wild smokescreen uh, from them if they were to take a QB here, though they have scouted them. So it's not like they haven't looked at guys like Sam Howe and Kenny Pickett. Um, so I, I'm still going to I'm still gonna keep one eye open for that, even though I don't think it's going to happen. Do I think he lands a second contract with the Giants? I do not um, at this juncture. The reason is because was well, twofold. I don't expect him to pick his fifth year option up by May 2nd, though we will see. But the other thing is this, guys, and I you probably agree with me here, but like when you're looking to possibly trade Saquon Barkley and Kadarius Tony and you're having all those phone calls, like that tells me that the Giants are this is like a complete possible teardown. I mean, they released Logan Ryan, you know, they're trading James Bradbury soon. So all of this is to say, how good of a chance does Daniel Jones really have to rack up numbers to be the guy down the road? Yeah, um, taking it down to the wood, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, if, if Joe Shane culminates all of these trade discussions and phone calls, if you're Daniel Jones, you're kind of sitting there on the bench, kicking your feet, saying like, uh, okay, you know? <laughs> so what about you know, me? That, that's, that's, yeah, that's where I go with Daniel is that does he have, could he earn that second contract? Does he have it in him? I do think so. But is he going to have the best chance to succeed? And is it likely he does? You know, I'm, I'm not so sure. Absolutely. Steve, you had one last one, I think. You yeah, just real quick, uh, uh, Pat. Um, so we do a lot of Rutgers. We cover a lot of Rutgers football on the site. Uh Bo Melton, the wide receiver, looks like he may get drafted late rounds. And then they got some guys, Isaiah Pacheco, Olakuni Fadakazi. Uh, Julius Turner. These are these guys are you know ranked two fifty plus. Do you hear any buzz uh, around the Giants and Jets about the local guys? And uh, what do you think of you know free agency? I mean, it's it's obviously a deep pool of players. Uh, I'd imagine there's a lot of free agents uh, signings that will will have a chance to make the league. Yeah, well, well, Melton because he did well during the pro uh, the Senior Bowl. You know, that really does mean a lot to NFL teams and to the New York teams. I know the Giants place a high premium on that. And so it would not shock me in the later rounds that the Giants have a lot of capital back there. You know, get a guy who can be a receiver and a returner for you. Like, you know, that wouldn't shock me at all, even for the Jets as well. Um, and like you said, this is this has never been uh, there's never been a draft class this large due to teams, you know, players getting that extra year because of COVID. And so. Joe Shane, I know for a fact that like he is excited about not only what am I going to do with the fifth and seventh picks, but he's excited about getting to the fifth, sixth and seventh rounds and getting great value on players, you know, like a, like a Fadakazi, for example, like maybe a guy who would get drafted 
higher in a different year, if he slips a little bit, if any of these type of talents, especially local guys they know well slip, you can get them at great value at cost control in a year where you're, you're taking your roster down to the studs. And even if it's just giving a guy like Fadakazi on uh, a shot on special teams early on to kind of cut his teeth and make his mark in the pros, there's never been more opportunity, um, even though the, it's a large pool, uh, for these guys to kind of catch on with teams on the back end. And, and really, in a fair way, like you could be a UDFA this year and say, listen, in another year, I would have been a fifth or sixth rounder, and it would actually be true. So, um, you know, that, that's what I would say about that. I think, um, I think all the local guys too, the giants always have a, uh, you know, one eye trained on, uh, on Rutgers and on what they can get locally, especially because they usually just have a little bit more information and insight, uh, than some other teams around the league would. Yeah. And we're used to seeing the local guys get a shot with the local teams pretty much. So hopefully that that'll be the case this year. Pat, yeah, last, no, I, think, yeah. I, I just wanted to hit you with this one on the way up. We really thank you for the time you carved out for us. Um, how did you do last year with your mock draft? How many did you hit on? And what, what do you think is a good percentage that you're looking for? Like if if you wake up Friday morning and you say, wow, you know, you're going to stick your chest out. What's a, what's a good number of guys that you hit on that you'd be happy with? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I'm not just saying this because like the number's horrible or anything. I don't remember my specific win percentage last year. I do think this, I think I did it this way. If I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure I had like early twenties of the 32 top picks as far as names that went in the first round. So not necessarily getting the pick correct, but getting the player correct as far as he's worth the first round pick. And he went in the first, it was like, it was something like 20, three or 24 out of 32 or something like that, which is, which is pretty good, but good. it was much lower on the, the definite player going at a certain spot type thing. Um, you know what I'm looking at last year, I think I had Jalen Waddle going to Miami, I believe. And I think I had chase at five and Pitts at four, pretty sure I did pretty well in the top 10. And then the teams really went haywire. Yeah. You know, you had the, the Raiders took Alex Leatherwood, like, come on, you know? <laughs> so, um, and You've then obviously got a surprise. the Giants trade threw it, threw it out of the mix. But I think what I, what I look for is, especially as far as like, you know, you talk to all your sources going into the draft and all coaches and executives and scouts and agents. And you want to know that the people that you talk to really have something uh, concrete that you can hold on to. And you say, you know what? he told me that and that's exactly what happened or yeah. he told me to keep an eye out for these three things. And one of them hit, you know? And so it's, you evaluate it from a standpoint of was I accurate on who the first rounders were, but also, you know, are the people that I'm trusting as, as, uh, reliable and trustworthy as I believe them to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess you'll find out who's blowing smoke, right? On, uh, That's right. When the picks come in again. But again, Pat Leonard, the the uh, beat writer for the New York Daily News, thank you so much for the New York Giants, that is. Thank you so much for joining us here. We do it each year. And uh, we look forward to maybe in a week or two catching up maybe again to see how the do a little post-mortem, if you will. Yes. Yes. Looking forward to that. And th yeah, thank you always for, uh, for this opportunity, guys. I really do appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Pat. We appreciate it. And that will do it for our annual NFL draft preview. 
check out our website, moresportsnow.com. You can hear our show on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. For Steve Titchener, I am John McAlevey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>